1: Welcome to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This podcast is a reflection of our connected lives and is dependent on the generosity of you, our listener. So please go to mindpodnetwork.com/sharon and either use the donate button or bookmark the Amazon portal through which we will receive a percentage of whatever you purchase. From Amazon, or sign up for a free trial with Audible.com. We thank you for your support in allowing Sharon to continue to share her exquisite heart wisdom.
3: Uh, I began meditation in 1971, January of 1971, at a retreat in Bodh Gaya, India, which is where I met Ramdas. Was at my first retreat and Krishnadas and so many people who are still my really close friends, and it was a pretty amazing time. And I'd gone there as a university student. I was a a student at the State University of New York at Buffalo, and the school had an independent study program where if you chose to you could create a project and if they approved the project you could go anywhere theoretically for a year and then you'd come back and finish your final year so uh my joke is usually it being buffalo new york many people went and not that many people came back which was actually true so uh just last week i was teaching in denver and i was saying you know i went to india for the first time through school and When I was signing books, this guy came up to me, and he was, it turns out, going to the same university exactly the same years. And he said, I did an independent study project too. I said, where'd you go? He said, I said I wanted to go to New Mexico and study communities, so I went to Lama Foundation, and I never went back to Buffalo. (gasps) So I said, oh, I went back, but I was there in India for somewhat more than a year. Um, So I went to India specifically, according to my project, to learn Buddhist meditation. And they accepted that, and off I went. So um, that was my goal, and I wanted something really very practical. I wanted something that I could experiment with, that I could try to make my own, that I could breathe life into it and, and see if it would make a difference in my own mind and my own being. And so it took a while to find just that kind of situation, which I, I finally did in the context of this intensive 10-day retreat. So I walked into that compound, never having meditated before for one single second in my life. And the instruction that I got, which is the first thing we're going to experiment with here today, was sit down and feel your breath. Feel the actual sensations of your in and out breath First I thought that sounded really dreary. And then I was really, I was horribly disappointed. I thought, feel my breath. I came all the way to India. You know, where's the magical, esoteric, fantastic technique that's gonna wipe out all my suffering and, and make me a totally happy person. I thought, feel my breath. I could have stayed in Buffalo to feel my breath. And I thought, huh, how hard can this be? Then it was like, whoa, this is not so easy. And what I've come to see, looking back, is that I feel there's a kind of beauty in in a method, in a technique, because it's like a fractal. Contained in the smallest part of it is the entirety of the truth. So feel your breath. Come into this moment. Return to yourself. Reconnect. And most particularly, it's realizing, and, and this is like the art, I think, of meditation practice, um, it's realizing that, I mean, my, my imagining was something like, okay, what's it going to be, like 800 breaths, 900 breaths before my mind wanders, and to my absolute shock, it was like one, you know, or two, sometimes a half a breath, sometimes four, you know, and I'd be gone, and I'd be way gone. And then would come this moment where I'd sort of emerge from the fog, and I'd realize, oh, it's been quite some time since you last felt a breath. And in that moment, that's the moment. That's the most profoundly important moment of the whole process because that's the moment we have the chance to be really different. So instead of judging ourselves and berating ourselves and feeling like a failure and blaming ourselves, that's the moment, first of all, of self-compassion, right? Like give yourself a break. This is how things are. This is how our minds are trained to be kind of scattered or fragmented or all over the place. It's okay. It's not just you. And the most effective way of all of making a change is through the vehicle of that compassion for yourself in letting go and beginning again. And what a miracle that is, that we can begin again, that we have that kind of resiliency or ability to renew that's an amazing thing, and it's so different from how we may normally be conditioned and how we think we're going to be effective and get something done and make a change, which is often kind of self-punishing. So meditation is, is kind of radical in so many ways. It defies, say, our, our normal, what might be a more acquisitive I'm grabby, clinging kind of mentality, like, well, you know, if I hurry up and get an insight, maybe I can skip tomorrow and go swimming, you know, or whatever, which you can if you want. But anyway, with or without the insight, but the, um, you know, that tendency, like I've got to get something to feel okay about myself is very, very different than the way it actually works, which is we practice letting go, we practice beginning again, over and over and over again. It's what a friend of mine um, recently called a bicep curl for the brain. (laughs) We let go, we begin again. There's so much compassion in there, even if the word is never, ever spoken even if it's not articulated, even if it's not given voice, that's what we're actually strengthening and engendering and deepening. So what I had dismissed kind of almost contemptuously as this too simple exercise proved to be not only hard to do in reality, but tremendously transforming. Do you have any uh, questions or comments, anything you'd like to talk about? Hi, Sharon. Hi, Saraswati.
2: (laughs) So um, what happens when you are following the breath but also, like, have learned a way to think about something at the same time? You've, like, figured out a method. That's really not following the breath, probably.
3: Uh, Well, it's kind of following the breath. Um, I was surprised that, you
2: know, I was like, oh, I can, I'm following the breath, but I'm also thinking about Right,
3: right. Well, they say technically we're actually not doing both at once. It's a very, very quick succession uh, between, I'm both, the Buddha said that and neuroscientists say that, so I guess it's true. Um, You know, it's actually a very quick movement between between the two and yet that is the subjective experience that it's happening at the same time and so what we say is really just to the degree you can make it like a foreground background thing you know that other stuff's going on you don't have to fret about it you don't have to reject it you don't have to freak out about it just make it background if you can and we do that by having more interest and more enthusiasm about the breath so the example is often used of Uh, It being like seeing a friend in a crowd. You don't have to shove aside everybody else and say, go away, you're bothering me. But it's like your interest, your enthusiasm is going, hey, there's my friend right over there. There's my friend. So it's like, oh, there's the breath. There's the breath. And there's all this tumult in the crowd and, you know, whatever is going on. But it's like, oh, there's the breath. So rather than working through rejection, it's working through a kind of enthusiasm of connection. Yeah, somebody over right here. The question was about the rhythm of the breath and if you should in some way try to make it be a certain way. Um, really, not in this particular style. Some exercises really do, of course, and, and that's what they're about. And this is it's considered an awareness exercise rather than a breathing exercise. And the reason I said keep it normal was so that... Uh, we don't spiral down into that kind of judgment like my breath isn't deep enough and it's not reaching enough places and it's not good enough and everyone else is breathing correctly except for me. Um, Maybe I need a remedial class and breathing before I can do awareness of the breathing. Whatever it is we might get into is just saying however it is is okay for these purposes because it really is an awareness exercise. Like when we talk about concentration which is this what this actually is Um, classically in many systems of practice, it's done by choosing an object of awareness, which could be anything could be a mantra visualization, a sound, something happening in the body, a prayer um, or something like the feeling of the breath. And we gather all of our attention around it. No part left out. So it's the complete wholehearted presence that is like the engine for this, that, and the ability to let go and start over. Um so really it could be anything. And uh here we have some of the reason for some of the many methods and systems and techniques and styles of meditation and to um you know for those people who do work with the breath, one of the reasons uh why that's like a foundational exercise. It may not at all be the only meditation that you do, but it's a good foundation is because Uh, As my early teachers would say, first of all, you don't have to believe anything in order to feel your breath. You know, you don't have to call yourself a Buddhist or a Hindu or reject anything else. If you're breathing, you could be meditating. And then as one teacher always went on to say, I've always thought quite charmingly, he said, the breath is very portable. You know, so here we are, we're in obviously a very conscious situation. We're coming together this afternoon to meditate together. and Or maybe you sit at home every day for 10 or 20 minutes. And if the breath is the vehicle that you use to come back to yourself, to come back to the moment, to return, then it's there. You know, you're at work. You're sitting on that airplane. You're talking to the person who says, we lost your luggage, you know, I didn't make that up. Uh, you know, there are all these situations where our, our energy, it's like we, it's so easy to get caught in like the crazy momentum going on around us. And you don't have the option of, you know, opening up a closet door and pulling out all this equipment and sitting down cross-legged and lighting incense and having your gong and, you know, looking weird. Um, <laughs> But you have the breath, right? So it can be the vehicle that you use to come back to yourself. And when we come back to ourselves, and we come back to the moment that way, we also come back to our values, our priorities. What do I really care about more in this moment? You know, so it's it's a great exercise to at least have as part of one's kind of arsenal of tools, I think. So, I mean, that was part of what moved me a lot about this kind of practice very early on. It seemed so personal. It seemed so independent. It was private. Nobody even had to know you were doing it. It could support us in any situation. Um, And that's still a very strong interest of mine, no matter what else may be what somebody does for that sense of connection. And connection is the whole point of everything, I think, um, you know, whatever else one might do, this is one thing that we can really do anywhere. And, and that was so valuable, uh, for me in my consideration of what I wanted to learn and where I wanted to put my energy and so on. It just felt so free in that way, free of encumbrances and equipment and, uh, needing to, you know, whatever. Um, so I think it's a very beautiful kind of tool in that way
4: so do you have to sit down and do the breathing or like following up on your question uh or you can be anywhere meeting or doing something else and at the same time aware of your breathing <laughs>
3: Uh, I think you can be anywhere at any time and meeting or or doing something else and being aware of your breathing. The question is, will we be? Right? And so uh, my experience, speaking for myself, you know, in in my own life, was that there were a lot of things I held as a great um, ideal, but for me to have them be real rather than kind of a story I was telling myself, it it has meant a kind of practice, a regular practice. It doesn't have to be endless, like take over your whole day, you know. But there's so many exercises, like Thich Nhat Hanh, um, this Vietnamese Zen teacher, has this now famous exercise where he says, uh, don't pick up the phone on the first ring. Let it ring three times and breathe. Then you pick it up. Or the kinds of things I heard from so many people I talked to when I was writing the book that I just wrote, Real Happiness at Work, where people would say they got into the habit of, like, writing out the email and not pressing send right away, but, like, writing out the email, taking a few breaths, and then reading it again. And then deciding if they wanted to send it again. It's just those moments of... um, some people call it almost like a sacred pause or some other people call it purposeful pauses. It's like we need a break from being so entangled and so enmeshed and caught up in all this momentum and losing touch with who we actually are and we're just seeing ourselves through the eyes of others and we're going up and down and it's all kinds of stuff. It's like we need some breaks. Um, even very classically, uh, a Tibetan teacher I studied with, um, so the essence of his teaching, the goal, really, uh, was short moments. That's like short moments of awareness many times, right? So we can puncture that kind of congealed energy that we get lost in. We can just kind of get some space just here and there. So back to my own experiences, like I have found that, yeah, I like the thought of Thich Nhat Hans. You know, don't pick up the phone on the first ring. Let it ring three times, and breathe. But I know I am so much more likely to grab the phone if I haven't sat that morning. Right? So uh, it it's the compelling question to me. That's what I you know I called last night. I think I used the word alchemy. That's the moment. You know, where it's not just saying, "Boy, that's fantastic. Look at Thich Nhat Hans. What a great idea." you know, but it's like making it real. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to at least make the experiment. I'm going to put it into practice. And I find that I, and and many others I know, um, benefit in doing that from having a more dedicated period each day. And it doesn't have to be that long, really. Uh, but it's something about it. You know, the, the repetition and the routine and making this a part of our life and saying I'm not just gonna, um, you know, because people say to me all the time, like I, I teach quite a lot in New York City and seems a world away. And uh, people say all the time, well, you know, fine for the Buddha sitting under a tree, you know, 2,500 years ago in India. It's too bad I live in Manhattan where it's so noisy. Uh, someday when my life calms down and there's no more adversity and it's all sort of smooth and serene then i can start and when i'm not living in a noisy place and when you know so there's a lot of postponement we can get into in our lives and so i'm more responding to like the immediacy of what it's like when it's it's uh made real for us and so i i am a big big advocate of daily practice i really am but Honestly, uh, hypothetically, you don't have to do it because I think we can use anything as a, as a training in mindfulness. Raghu, do you have the microphone? You do? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Otherwise, we have to discipline you. <laughs>
1: okay. This is a question from the online audience. and A woman named Connie Burgos asks why is it when i meditate and i should let you know i'm a novice at this and i feel a moment of being at peace with myself my breath just being present Mm -hmm. i become aware of fear Mm -hmm. the only way i can describe it is like the feeling of waking up from a dream when you're about to fall off the edge just as you feel yourself falling fear wakes you just as i feel myself letting go Self-consciousness in the form of thoughts disrupts me. Is this a common occurrence?
3: Yes. It is a common occurrence, actually. And I think um, the whys are always a little complex. Uh, So we emphasize more like what. You know, what's happening, how to respond to it. Um, It is a common occurrence, Uh, It's not wrong or bad. You know, nothing is wrong or bad, actually, uh, in this light. The core of the meditation is changing our relationship to everything. Um, To joy, to sorrow, to pleasure, to adversity, whatever it might be. So that our relationship to everything, um, the letting go, the fear, whatever it might be, becomes one of awareness and compassion, whatever it is. So um, rather than defining certain things as a problem, yes, some things are really hard to handle. That's true, Uh, but it's not a problem. It's not a sign that things have gone wrong. And so in a way, what we're trying to do is just create some more space so that we can be with all of these different experiences as they come. And I think there are probably a lot of reasons why, which is why it's, it's a little complicated that those things happen. Um, you know, we, we're probably all pretty highly adrenalized, you know. We're, we're living at a certain tempo. And when our system is kind of down-regulating, you know, it's jarring often. And um, we have this kind of trepidation about not knowing uh, just what's going to happen i mean all kinds of things feed into that but uh, mostly we would say don't you know don't make an enemy of that experience and feel like oh i failed or this is so terrible or or whatever it is it's it's something else we try to look at and uh, if you end up largely looking at the fear that's okay too that's actually a very powerful and interesting experience to have some balanced awareness and compassion for ourselves even as where we're watching that fear run. You know, there's a lot of learning that happens there.
1: You know, when you mention the uh, adrenaline, uh, <clears throat> it's something that I'm coming up against, is the, uh, the adrenaline <clears throat> that I'm experiencing from the stress I'm under. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't seem to be abated Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i mean i'm breathing and it's like it it turns it off moment while i'm focused Mm -hmm. but then it's like in between breaths yeah it's back again Mm
3: -hmm. yeah well i think uh rather than trying to see an experience abate, if possible, um, remember that we're trying to change our relationship to everything, even this very unpleasant, difficult, jarring experience. So that kind of highly stressed out state is also a state of high energy, right? There's not enough calm to match the energy, but it's a lot of energy. And Uh, It doesn't usually work well when we have like a big energy and we try to squeeze it down, right, and tighten around it. It's like having a big energy trying to move in a very small, narrow space and it becomes really jagged. So what we really try to do is create a big space for the energy to move through because then it will, you know, the energy will return to you and be more available to you in a positive way rather than just be, be jarring and so you have to think what helps me feel space right and that could be you know being outside in this beautiful place it could be if you're sitting like listening to sound or you know we're going to move i'm sure you know loving kindness meditation anyway you know but we're going to move to it and it's like offering loving kindness to like all beings everywhere to all of life you know there's so many ways in which uh any one person knows that they can more access that sense of a big space, and that helps, you know, rather than trying to make it, it's like insisting you calm down, is not really going to work, it's too bad, you know, like I often think these things we're so habituated to, if only they did work, it would be great, because we're so used to them, you know, but it's just not going to work, and so just keep thinking space, and the the core teaching is over and over again about relationship. We're just trying to change or, uh, to begin with, see our relationship to everything. You know, something's going on that's difficult. What are we adding on to that? Maybe it's anticipation of the future. You know, what's it going to feel like next week? What's it going to feel like next month? What's going to feel like next year? Oh, my God, by next year, it's going to be Unbelievable. Right. So it's not only the present moment's difficulty, it's all of that anticipated, imagined difficulty, which may never happen. Right. But we're trying to bear that and we we continually feel defeated because it's too much. So maybe it's anticipation of the future. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's judgment. I've been meditating for over 40 years, for God's sake. Why is this still here? You know, I spent $10,000 in therapy just last year. It shouldn't be here anymore. You know, whatever it is. And so then we've got something unpleasant going to begin with. And on top of that, we're adding all that other stuff where no one else in this room feels anything like that. I am the only one. Everyone else, they're sitting here in bliss. They're already in bliss. We've only been here half a day and they're already in bliss They're not thinking, you know, they're not thinking especially such difficult thoughts. They're not all stressed out. They're in wonderful space. They're all sitting here bathed in brilliant white light. Or maybe it's kind of a muted white light. I can't remember. Maybe it's even a golden light, whatever, pale blue, whatever color that light's supposed to be. I don't know, but they have it. I don't have it. I'm just sitting here all stressed out. No one else is stressed out, right? Maybe that's what we're adding to the mix. So we're always looking at relationship, what's my relationship to this moment's experience? Because that's where freedom lies, right? You can't insist you not feel what you're feeling. I mean, you can try, but it doesn't usually work, right? So that's a miserable path. Um, it's like Ramdas introduced the word misery last night, which I liked. Uh, you know, when I believe my thought, of course I would like it. Believe my thoughts, I am miserable. Makes a great tweet, wherever Ambika is. I tweeted it out. Um, it's all about relationship and there's so much possibility for us there in altering our relationship to bring forth more compassion, more presence and so on, whatever may be going on.
1: Um, we often meditate on something positive.
2: Does
1: mm-hmm. that mean we have fear for something negative that we don't want to meditate on something negative?
3: No, I don't think it necessarily means that. I think it just depends on what you're doing. It's like there are kinds of meditation like the one we just did, where it's not about positive or negative. It's just about being with, being with our actual experience in the moment. And that becomes extended to, you know, like feel the cup as you hold it. You know, feel your experience. Be with it. Don't be disconnected. Just connect to what's actually happening. And so there's a huge range of meditations like that. And there are also meditations about focusing on the positive. We're meditating on the positive. And that, most of those I actually see, depending on what they are. You know, but something like a gratitude meditation is a practice... um, that I almost see as a kind of balancing act for many of us. Like People say that one of the most powerful things we can do, any of us, is keep a gratitude journal. Like at the end of the day, write down three things you're grateful for. And I always say one of them can be that you're breathing, right? It doesn't have to be something really magnificent. But I mean, look at where we are. It could actually probably be something magnificent. Um, And I also say, as is true, both my personal and my cultural conditioning are such that that gratitude reflection actually does not come automatically to me. I'm much more likely to come to the end of the day and make a list of everything I can complain about quite rightfully. You know, so-and-so was late, and that person disappointed me, and there's always an airline, and, you know, whatever, Uh, phone service. Um, you know, that's just where my mind tends to go. So for me to actually think, okay, what do I have to be grateful for from today is a stretch. It actually takes a kind of intentionality on my part. So that's a meditation on the positive, but it's not meant to be denial, like, fine, the airline lost my luggage. It's all right. They didn't lose mine, actually. (laughs) Sis. Um, But... You know, it's like, it's not like pretending to feel something you don't feel, but it's realizing that well, maybe I have a pretty narrow range of what I'm attuned to, and I wanna see what it's like when I include rather than exclude, when I make that stretch, when I look for what I have to be grateful for, which is not where my mind's gonna automatically go. So a lot of meditations are like that. Loving kindness meditation, which we're going to spend a good bit of time on, is exactly like that. You know, let's look at the people we usually ignore or discount or look through. What happens when we look at them instead of through them? It's a stretch, right? What happens when I think of myself and I think of the good within me? That's a stretch for many of us. What happens when I think of my own fear or anger or whatever. And I do that translation I spoke about, about considering it to be suffering rather than bad or wrong. That's a stretch, right? So all of those are, it's like making a tremendous creative experiment with your own mind and heart. And so that's like a whole other way of doing it. And many of us really feel we do need that kind of balance, you know, because we have that sort of negativity bias and, and that's just where we're gonna go. So it's interesting. It's not always the most comfortable kind of practice, but it's also very freeing, um, if it's not what you're used to.
4: I live in Manhattan, and you're constantly bombarded by people situations. And I mean, what, what We're discussing here is you sit down, quiet room, meditate. Can you meditate while living in Manhattan? I'm saying walking the streets, taking the subway.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And that's the biggest stimulation. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. You can meditate walking the streets of Manhattan and taking the subway. Uh, What I was saying earlier was that I think it's made easier if you also sit, uh, say, for 10 minutes a day. Uh, you're not going to block out the sound. The sound will be there. The noise will be there. But uh, you're getting used to grounding your attention within your own body, within your own being in this moment. And you're getting used to being lost and spaced out and all over the place and starting over. So that's what we're practicing, say, in those 10 minutes. And then it's just easier. There are walking meditations where you're, you know, eyes open, completely aware of what's going on around you but you have that kind of grounded centeredness also. And you also know how to return to it when you're lost. There are loving-kindness meditations that are done walking or on the subway, um, which are which we'll also do here, of course, which are silent repetitions of certain phrases, like may you be happy, may you be, may you be at ease, whatever it is, and silent is the emphasis. Um I once I was teaching at a yoga center in Berkeley and uh we had to do our walking meditation just out on the streets of Berkeley, and either I had not been clear enough or somebody misunderstood, because she came back in after the walking session, and she said, well, I saw this group of people standing on the street corner, and I mustered up all my courage, and I went up to them, and I said, may you be happy. (laughs) And I thought, well, Lisa's Berkeley. (laughs) You know, like, Maui would work too, I'm sure. You can say anything. But, Manhattan is a little tricky, right? So, uh, silent repetition of certain phrases. There are lots of things we do um, in these tumultuous, chaotic situations. Uh, but I find again, you know, just to to repeat what I said before, they're kind of hard to remember unless I have that habit of just sitting for ten or twenty minutes each day, or walking, you know, but not walking on the streets like walking at home, whatever it might be, that period of dedicated practice. Hi, Sharon. Hi.
2: Um, last, the last time I saw you at the um, Open Your Heart in Paradise retreat was <laughs> around us. And you talked about when you first went over to India and you first sat in meditation. And I recall you saying that you were very sleepy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So what I find is at times I feel that way. I feel completely that way, completely unfocused, completely sleepy. And conversely, then in the middle of the night, wide awake, <laughs> practicing, you know, some type of gratitude um, meditation. And I just wondered how you slowly moved past that kind of sleepiness thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Of course, you're making the assumption, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why people experience sleepiness in their practice. For one thing, you might be really tired, you know. And for those of you who've slept here some considerable distance or you had a lot to do before you left home, you know, and, and there is a kind of exhaustion. And sometimes even, you know, when it's not such a long trip, Uh People come say to Barry to Mass to my retreat center, and um, still, you know, it's only when you stop that you realize sometimes the level of fatigue that you've been carrying. You know, so it's like whoa. Even if you sleep for 15 hours at night, you sit down to meditate and you conk out, and that's just something that you do get over because your whole system readjusts. You know, and and uh, sometimes we get really sleepy when we meditate just because of that balance I was talking about where we're developing so many different qualities and and attributes like calm and peace and relaxation, as well as energy and interest and connection. And sometimes those two sides aren't happening in perfect balance. And, uh, you might actually be getting calmer and letting go and getting more relaxed, but there's just not enough energy in your system cooking quite yet to match that. And so then the first thing we do is fall into a state which classically is called sinking mind. I call it the ooze. You're just kind of oozing along and it's like really peaceful, but it's not very sharp, right? And if that continues, then sitting there you'll just fall asleep. Um, but it, it's not a bad state, it's just out of balance. And so the answer is to try to pick up energy without losing the... The And that could be something quite mechanical, like try opening your eyes. Um, Listen to sounds again. Something like that. Some bigger field. Uh, See if you can use that mental noting. Actually say in, out, in, out with the breath because that will pick up your energy. Um, There's this quality that's talked about a lot called right aim, where it's kind of like if you were getting ready to be with this breath in the next 50, you'd lose a lot of energy. Whereas if you say to yourself, just this one breath, like this is life right now, it's this one breath, then all your energy comes together and it picks up. right? So there are lots of ways we just work with just picking up the energy and not losing the the calm. And then it will pass.
1: Um, I was wondering... Uh, calming your mind but and then trying to sit in physical discomfort Mm -hmm. where you just have a backache Mm -hmm. and the mind gets distracted to that and -hmm. how to work through that Mm
3: -hmm. physical discomfort i think first of all it's fine to sit as comfortably as you can you know and uh you know we're not at home we don't have like uh as many alternatives as we might have, you know, if you're home, but with whatever we've got, you know, like this chair or one of those couches or any number of cushions, like definitely experiment so that you're as comfortable as possible. It's not wrong and it's not lesser to do that. That's the right thing to do because even with that, uh, there are often deeper levels of stress that come forward and we feel the pain of that or all kinds of things might happen so sit as comfortably as you possibly can um if discomfort comes up you can spend if you're interested in it you know if you feel that kind of energy spend a few moments not trying to let go of it to be with the breath but looking right at it and just paying attention partly in some of the ways i was talking about before am i with this experience or am i with this experience plus oh no by next week i'm going to be you know immobilized by pain or, you know, nobody else in this room feels anything like this or, you know, whatever it is. And if you see those add-ons, see if you can relinquish some of them and come back to the actual experience right now. And with that experience, see if you can look into the pain. And we're going to, you know, get into this much more because it's not actually just one thing, right? There are flashes of intensity or uh, it's moments of pressure, moments of burning, moments of iciness, and you know, if somebody handed you a menu on your way in here, I'm sure you wouldn't check off moments of burning and moments of pressure and moments of iciness. But that's an alive system, right? That's very different from the normal way we relate to discomfort. It's like we're seeing into it, and we're seeing. As one uh, friend told me, somebody with a very bad chronic pain condition said to me. I found the space within the pain, right? Because the movement within it and the the changes and and the flux and the flow. But you have to be balanced, you know, because your goal is not to conquer the pain. It's to be more aware of everything and have more compassion for yourself um, in the light of everything. So there's some point which you just move. It's okay. It's not the end of the world, you know. Um, Just shift posture, see if you can get more comfortable, and that's in the same uh, light as start out as comfortably as you possibly can. And then I think there, you know, there are things about alignment and there are things about posture that just uh, help us know more what, what's actually comfortable. But it's a very powerful exercise to see all that we might be adding on to something. Um, The story I usually tell is a word in Pali, which is the language of the original Buddhist text called Papancha, the word. And I like it because it's like one of those words that I think sounds like what it means. I think it sounds like popcorn. And it means proliferation. It's P-A-P-A-N-C-A, Papancha. It means proliferation, or as I heard it once described, uh, one translator described it as the imperialistic tendency of mind where something happens and the entire world is taken over. So the story I usually tell about that, I was teaching somewhere with my friend Joseph Goldstein, and Joseph and I were sitting in the kitchen having a cup of tea, and somebody came into the kitchen in a state of some distress, and he said to Joseph, I just had this really terrible experience. So Joseph said, well, what happened? And he said, I felt all of this tension in my jaw and I realized what an incredibly uptight person I am and how I always have been and I always will be. And Joseph said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And he said, yes, and I've never been able to get close to people and it's never going to change. And Joseph said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And it was really interesting for me, like watching them go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Joseph said to him something like, Why are you adding a miserable self-image to a painful experience? It's like painful enough and genuinely so to feel all that tension in our jaw or our heartbreak or our stress, whatever it is. But on top of that, we tend to add whatever. This means I'm going to be alone forever. This is going to last forever. I'm worse than everybody else, whatever it is. So we say in terms of meditation, let's look for those add-ons, you know, and just see if we can loosen the grip. And we will have a very kind of revitalized and different relationship to to anything. And given that not all discomfort in our life will be relieved by moving, it's kind of a, a pretty profound exercise, you know, to, to just sort of see those layers of experience as well. I have time for one more. maybe two more.
1: Um, I'm curious in terms of uh, the concentration exercise that we just did. If you don't do any of the compassion exercises, and from one of your books, I think it was like Real Happiness, the 28-Day Program, I'm I'm wondering whether you can develop compassion by just doing
3: the concentration exercise. And if so, how do you see how that works? I think there's a certain amount of uh, compassion that can come if, just as we did, you know, it's compassion for oneself uh, that's based on looking at that moment of letting go and starting over, because there are lots of ways we can let go and start over, but the most effective and I think really best way is through deepening compassion for ourselves. Otherwise, we do spiral out into a lot of judgment and and things get very sticky, right? A distraction arises and suddenly we're gone or we have tension in our jaw and suddenly we have all those add-ons and and we don't realize, like, okay, I can let go and start over. I think if we actually look at how we learn or we grow, um, how we... Truly, make a change. There's a lot of self-forgiveness that's involved, uh, rather than beating ourselves up and, and guilt and punishing ourselves. It's just if we just look without sentimentality, you know, look at the reality of our experience, and um, I think that's what we see. And so, doing something like this, uh, if you're uh, guided to looking at that moment and really understanding the contours of that moment, I think it can bring a kind of compassion. I think it's, uh, that compassion is hugely enhanced by insight or wisdom. Looking at our own stuff as painful, rather than bad or wrong, helps us look at others. In that light, understanding the truth of how connected our lives are, uh, it brings a natural kind of compassion. and then the the meditations of course that are also concentration meditations that are specifically dedicated to loving kindness and compassion will uh incredibly enhance that that compassion that we can we can engender in, in these other ways yeah okay last question so
2: um sometimes they say um meditating eyes open versus eyes closed <laughs> if you're a beginner recommend one way or another?
3: (laughs) Um you can meditate with your eyes open or closed. It's okay. Uh most of my responses to those kinds of questions are either based on the immediate need of the moment. Like if you're really sleepy, sit with your eyes open. (laughs) You know, it'll be a better idea. Uh but you can experiment, eyes open or closed. I don't I don't think it's gonna make a difference. And then uh, the other place I tend to respond from is a sense of, you know, people ask, should I sit? I mean, this is different than perhaps some yogic traditions, you know, but people say, should I sit in the morning or should I sit in the evening? Should I sit alone or should I sit with others? Should I sit the same place every day or should I sit at the same time every day? Should I sit or should I walk? And I always say it depends on what you're actually going to do. You know, it's like if, you're going to get it done in the morning and, you know, that's real for you. That's the time to practice, <laughs> you know, but if that's much more realistic in the evening, don't think, oh, I ruined it, you know, because I, I didn't sit at the right time of day. It's like the hardest thing of all is that moment of making it real. And so whatever's going to help you do it, so experiment. You can see with your eyes open, you can see with your eyes closed, see how it feels. Um, and except for when you're specifically trying to wake up a little bit, just see, see what you prefer. Okay, thank you. Enjoy your yoga and everything.
1: Thank you for listening to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. We really do appreciate your support and hope you will continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash Sharon and clicking on the donate button or by using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases namaste